If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. The following program contains adult content and sexual themes. Viewer discretion is advised. And it contains murder. Lots and lots of murder. You stinking bastard. People come and say, you're going to go die and go to hell. At least I'm not alone. One in the chest, one in the head. Fired by Detective Sergeant Roger Rogerson. I was uh, branching out, that's when the cannibalism started, eating of the heart and uh, the arm muscle. Oh, oh we're now Carl I harm someone each time I kill someone to be an enormous amount, uh, especially at first, uh, enormous amount of uh, horror, guilt, remorse afterwards, but then that impulse to do it again would come back even stronger. Hi, I'm Barney Black. And I'm Tara Saraban. And we do Bloody Murder. We're a comedy true crime podcast focusing on some of the lesser known crime stories from Australia. And indeed around the globe. What will you be covering this week, Barney? Well, Tara, I'm going to talk about the stupid and senseless murder of Senior Constable David Rickson by Michael Allen Jacobs, an ice-addicted fuckwit from Tamworth, New South Wales. Tamworth? That's the uh, country capital of Australia, country music capital. <laughs> you just wanted to say cunt, didn't you? Um, <laughs> in context, it has cunt. A, it has a big cunting guitar there. It really has a huge one. Yeah. How about you? Well, this week I looked into a case that was brought to my attention by my friend, Viking and centaur Jake Fignerski. Oh, he well is done. awesome. Well it, done, was, Jake. it was a gift. This case has been correctly described as stranger than fiction. It has everything twisted relationships, false allegations, ridiculous delusions, grilled chicken, a member of boy band Boyzone, and the murder of a sweet young woman. Wow, it does really have everything. It actually does have everything. I do like chicken. Yeah, yeah, you mightn't so much after you hear about this. Now, of course, this episode is brought to you by our wonderful, generous and hot damn diggity gorgeous patrons. Hey, baby patron. Would you like to listen to some extra episodes? Now, if you'd like to become a patron, go to our website for details. That's bloodymurderpodcast.com. Let's get murdery. 
Let's do it. Glamorous mother of two, 35-year-old Sabrina Quitter, looks pretty hot in the pictures shown of her in the news. But behind her ample cleavage, petite figure, long dark hair and smug smile, lurks the soul of a jealous, unhinged rage monster. Oh, I think I dated her. I think you did. <laughs> I think I did too when she was a guy. Despite the instigating role she took in the horrendous shit show that went down last year, she takes absolutely no responsibility for it. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Quitta was born in Algeria, but grew up with her mother in Paris. When she was 18 years old, she had a summer job working at a fun fair selling lollies. That's what us Aussies call candy. Yep, I like lollies. Yeah, lollies are pretty good. Yeah, mixed lollies. I don't know. Yeah, I'm not super yum. into them. They're kind of good sometimes. Anyway, she sold them. Whatever. This is where she met fellow French Algerian Wee Sam Madowney, who was five years older than her. Madowney completed a degree in economics and worked as a financial analyst. Sexy. Oh, yeah. Madowney had the good looks of a swarthy Derard Depardieu. So he had to work very hard to convince her to go out with him. <laughs> yeah, not good looking then. Mm. No. When she finally agreed, the scene was set for their 17-year on-off relationship. Like all her other relationships, this one was dysfunctional, tempestuous, and impaired by Quitter's frequent bouts of, well, croissants, baguettes, unfounded jealousy, and violence. I like that sentence. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I had to do some like racial profiling. To yeah, we've got to yeah beat another country so we get complaints. A little yeah. bit. I yeah, mean, who's gonna hate me if I don't like be deliberately offensive? Oh, sorry, lots of people. Anyway, Quitta had a domineering personality, and Madani was spineless, like a beret-wearing jellyfish, and easily manipulated. So they were a match made in couples who kill heaven. Yeah. Although they were married, Quitta liked to keep her options open in the hope of someone better coming along, so she'd often introduce Madowney as a relative or a friend in public. Well, the grass is always greener and she's going to mow that cunt, right? Oh, so hard. When she went off with other men, he proved his dog-like loyalty and waited patiently for her to return. When Quitta went to London for work, Madowney followed her. Like a good boy. She worked in several fields, including selling pyramid schemes and trying to become a stylist and fashion designer. Well, no one buys pyramids anymore. People more buy cubes. Yeah, well, everyone who needs a pyramid already has one. True. God, come on. Did we learn nothing from, like, ancient history? In 2011, Quidda had a chance meeting with millionaire songwriter and co-founder of Irish boy band Boyzone, Mark Walton, in a bank in Notting Hill. Like I said earlier, she was hot, and he claims it was love at first sight. Oh, Mark Walton, you naff little leprechaun. That's <laughs> not called love. It's called an erection. That's right. Lust at first sight. Yeah, come on. Just because you got wood doesn't mean it's going to be good. Walton launched his music career in 1993 when he founded Boyzone with a group of friends before leaving a year later to set up Fifth Avenue, a band so successful they don't even have a wiki page. They don't? No. However, he did end up turning his hand to songwriting and became a multimillionaire. He's worked with the likes of Shaggy, and Enrique Iglesias. So you just know his taste in music is on par with his taste in women. Oh. More recently. Savage. Oh, no, he's actually a decent guy. 
More recently, he's found TV stardom as a judge on Pop Idol in Vietnam. So, yeah, he's kind of famous in Asia, but he's also quite rich because the songwriting money, it rolls in. Yeah, that's where the dime is. Yeah, those shaggy songs where he mostly just goes, Shagger! they don't write themselves. Once the love goggles wore off, Walton discovered that Quitter was a calculating and manipulative woman who would go crazy in an instant. Want to hear some, like, examples? I do. Mm. He said that the relationship was turbulent, probably the most turbulent relationship I have ever been in, and noted that Quitter would become jealous if Walton spoke to one of her nannies. Um, So they were together a couple of years. She didn't keep her nannies long because she's a total cunt. She didn't have multiple nannies at the same time. She had one at a time. Right, so she'd get one, they'd stay for a couple of weeks, they'd go, I'm, oh, out, I'm out of this longer, crazy but shit They'd show. just be like, oh, for fuck's sake, man, my yeah. life is more important. But, you know, sometimes she could feign humanity long enough to, to have them work there a while. That's what goblins do. That's exactly. Goblin is what goblin does. He said she'd go from softly spoken French accent, then she'd flip, get very angry, very loud, and just not care where we were. She would just go crazy over something trivial. The couple lived together for two years in Queensway, London, before Quitter simply disappeared without warning for a while. Ooh. Ah, goblin vanished. In 2013, Walton paid £13,000 in rent on Quitter's Wimbledon flat, but stopped the financial support in February 2014, which is long after he broke up with her. A lot of wombles in Wimbledon. Oh, they roam free, the wombles of Wimbledon. Well, you've got to pay a womble removal fee. Yeah, well, look, you know what? In their defence, they do make good use of the things that they find, the <laughs> things that the everyday folks leave behind. They do eat a lot of chocolate hobnobs. <laughs> they don't That's just, what I hear. They don't just eat them. Quitter, really? Mm, they have they have sex with chocolate hobnobs. I didn't say that, but I didn't not you, say you, that. You implied that. Mm-hmm. I really did. Anal sex. Quitter is an unhinged, entitled, petty piece of brie, so she did not take him breaking up with her or, like, stopping supporting her mm. well. Mm. Goblin's scorn. Oh, there is nothing worse than a goblin scorned. Uh, Do you want to hear what she did? Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay, this is like, this is why when Jake like told me about this case, I pretty much dropped to the floor and worshipped him. I'm like, oh, please yeah, tell so me So this is more. top shelf crazy, oh, eh? It's amazing. So in retaliation, she rang his mother in Dublin and contacted his business partners to spit fire and brimstone about him. She reported him to police under false pretenses more than 30 times and received a caution for falsely branding him a pedophile on a fake Facebook profile. But wait, there's more. Oh, that's pretty savage. There's We're more? not done. She also accused him of sexually abusing a cat... Using black magic, causing her to have a miscarriage and hiring a helicopter to hover above her flat and spy on her. Wow. And this is all true? He did do that? No, he didn't. (laughs) Don't you think someone else might have complained if there was a helicopter hovering around like a central London area? I mean, come on, lady. She just can't stand being dumped. That's what's going on. Everyone loves cats, but usually not in the romantic way. No, I mean, you can pat them on the tummy, but that... That's not the same. No. After the music mogul realised the psycho massively outweighed the pretty and dumped her, Quitter went back to Madowney like she always did. 
She helped him to unsuccessfully set up a French pancake stall and was trying to get a fashion business of her own off the ground. Oh, is this not the International House of Pancakes? No, it's not. <laughs> we will, won't even stay open for more than a few months because we're shit at business. Mm. <laughs> but I'm pretty, non. Despite her grand plans, Quitter kept afloat by claiming benefits and accepting significant financial support from Walton long after they broke up, as I mentioned. When the handouts dried up, she racked up over £20,000 in unpaid rent on her flat. The Wombles were just like, we're out of here, man. Yeah, this right. is just not cool. Mm. Another ex-boyfriend, Anthony Francois, described Quitter as fickle and a lunatic who would lie, manipulate and target the weak. He said she would lash out at complete strangers, grabbing and pulling women's hair just for looking at her. <laughs> Don't you look at me! Wow. Oh, such a piece of work, man. She's yeah. like the queen of the goblins. Quitta had two young children, a little boy and a girl. Being a mother doesn't tend to come with enough accolades for a goblin like her, so it's no surprise she had live-in nannies to deal with the actual parenting of her kids. This is how Sophie Leone got involved in this whole shit show. 21-year-old Sophie possessed a soft, dreamy beauty and a shy, quiet and reserved personality. She'd moved to the UK from her home in northern France in 2016 to improve her English and worked as a nanny for Quitter. Her mother has spoken of her placid nature and naivety, while her father said he'd encouraged her to go to London to fulfil her life goals. Oh, she sounds lovely. Yeah, she yeah. she really does seem lovely. She was an avid reader. She had yeah. this like old copy of the Diary of Anne Frank that she really treasured. Oh. She was a, a sweetheart who, wrong place, wrong time, wrong yeah. everything. In July 2017, Sophie told her father Patrick that she was thinking of coming home because of problems with Quida and Madowney. Patrick said nothing indicated that it was so serious. If it had, I would have gone to join her. He said Sophie was so nurturing. She liked children and animals. She couldn't stand seeing others suffering. And it breaks my heart to know that she was abused to the end of her life. What happened in this case bears all the hallmarks of a psychosis known as folly adieu. Excuse my bad French. Um, it means a psychosis of two, where a delusion is shared from one individual to another. Quitta has been diagnosed with borderline personality disorder. While Madowney showed no signs of mental health problems, yet he became a fully-fledged believer in Quitta's obsession with Mark Walton. The couple targeted Sophie as part of a bizarre, fucked-up obsession with the former Boyzone member. Quitter came up with some ridiculous and elaborate story claiming Sophie was colluding with Walton in a black magic plot to drug and sexually assault her family. Sounds legit, right? You know, like Mark Walton's probably got nothing better to do than that. He lives in LA, right? Yes, he does. And like, they're, in, they're in England. Yeah, and Sophie, oh, she's just so calculating. Like, what the fuck? Investigating officer Detective Inspector Domenica Catino of Scotland Yard said, I cannot imagine what thoughts were going through Sophie's mind whilst being held a prisoner in those 12 days leading up to her death. 
but from the harrowing images obtained, it showed a scared, broken and emaciated young girl who probably knew she was shortly facing death. Oh, jeez. I know. Tara, this, this, this is horrible. Yeah, I know. It took a turn, didn't it? Yeah. See, Quitter had never gotten over Walton. He was by far the most successful guy she'd gone out with, and she loved the high-flying, lavish lifestyle he led, and she wanted it for herself. Walton had been living in LA since 2015, and although Quitter tried to get in touch with him many times, he refused to respond. He'd finally realised she was cancer in human form and cut her out of his life entirely. Yeah, wise move. Yeah, I know. Good move, right? I mean, no good comes of this shit. Frustrated by her failed attempts to get back in touch with Walton, Quitter latched onto her naive young nanny as a soft target and someone to take her anger at Walton out on. Although Sophie and Mark Walton had never met, Quitter created a fantasy world where Walton was a devious evil villain who seduced Sophie into doing his bidding with sex and promises of Hollywood stardom. Like, Sophie's not the kind of girl who's trying to be famous either. Yeah, like, she's it's, not interested in that stuff. No, no. it's just so off target. It's yeah. actually ridiculous. Madani became an ardent believer in Quitter's twisted reality and they interrogated Sophie, well, for hours and days to get to the truth. In the weeks leading up to her death, they tortured Sophie by starving her, beating her, waterboarding her and holding her head underwater until she confessed to the supposed link to Mark Walton. At their trial, jurors heard more than eight hours of recordings in which Sophie was slapped, beaten with electrical cables, likened to a Nazi collaborator and called worse than a murderer by her tormentors. Madani was heard in the recordings becoming enraged at the belief Sophie had colluded to drug him so that Walton could sexually abuse him in his own home. The fuck. The fuck. Because these cunts are the worst, they videotaped the confession they tortured out of Sophie. In the video, Sophie is just skin and bone, and she is broken, and she finally gives in to their demands and says that she had drugged Madani so Walton could sexually assault him. According to Quitter, Madoni tortured Sophie to death in the bath, then demanded they have sex as her dead body lay nearby. Before the trial, Madowney claimed Sophie died by accident after he punched her during an interrogation in the bath, because that would have been okay, right? This is a very strange and horrible tale. Um, indeed. Indeed. Whether or not Madowney was responsible for killing Sophie, he admitted that he failed to protect her. Having killed Sophie and had sex next to her body, the pair threw her on a bonfire in the garden of their home near Wimbledon. The Wombles were just like, fuck this shit, man. Yeah, we're, we're out calling of here. the cops. Yeah. They then did what, well, anyone in their situation would do. They threw some chicken on the outdoor barbecue near where Sophie's broken body lay burning. Oh, wow. Pathologist Dr. Charlotte Randall conducted a post-mortem on Sophie. She said a number of injuries, most likely caused before her death, included a cracked skull, fractures to her cheekbones, her sternum, four ribs and her jawbone. The fractures to her sternum were consistent with being kicked or stomped or like hit with massive force. 
Sophie's right eye socket was bruised and she suffered other facial injuries caused by blunt force trauma, possibly by a number of blows or punches to the face. Her teeth were broken and parts of her hair, scalp and the top part of her skull were missing, exposing shrunken brain tissue. Dr. Randall said it had been an extremely harrowing and tragic case, but the full extent of the horrors Sophie endured would never be known, as the fire damage was so extensive that it impaired the post-mortem and the definitive cause of death was given as unascertained. Wow, they really beat the shit out of her, didn't they? They it's really did. horrible. Yeah, it, it um, fucking is, man. And the jury was shown all these videos too. Oh, I hate and there were also room. some um, audio recordings, eight hours of audio. Oh, wow. So this case was brought to the attention of the authorities after neighbours complained of a foul-smelling smoke coming from Quitter and Madowney's backyard bonfire where they were burning Sophie's body. When firefighters arrived, Madowney tried to pass off the charred remains of Sophie's body as being that of a sheep which is really fucking ironic since there's only one sheep here and it's him. When questioned by police, Quitter claimed that Sophie had run off with Mark Walton because this chick prick can't seem to think about anything else. They later admitted disposing of Sophie's body but denied involvement in her murder, blaming each other for her death. Oh, of course. They totally turned on each other because, yeah, yeah of course. Because he lives in Los Angeles, 40-year-old Mark Walton could not be compelled to give evidence in court in London. But he willingly agreed to come along. He was just like, damn straight, I'm going to come here and, you know. Well, good on him, man. Yeah, good yeah. on him. Like, I have respect for him because of this. Also, it brings more press attention to the fact that she tried to involve him. So yeah. he probably, look, I, whatever it is, I mean, it's good that he came. Walton dismissed Quitter's claims against him, saying he had never even heard of or met Sophie and had not been in the UK since October 2015. Sophie didn't arrive till 2016. Well, that's right. Yeah. Like, to, to England. Yeah, they're oceans apart, man. It's, yeah. Look, obviously he wasn't involved in any kind of vendetta against Quitter and had no desire to, to like, drug and rape her husband, like, yeah, what the fuck? Punk. Yeah. In his evidence, Madani claimed his wife had woken him up in a state saying, what have I done? What have I done? That doesn't sound like her, actually. She'd be more like, look what I did. I'm awesome. He said he was shocked to find Sophie unconscious in the bath and tried to revive her. He said Quitter refused to call 999 and told him they would burn her instead. That does sound like her, though, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, it does. A witness in the house who cannot be identified for legal reasons, which leads me to believe it's actually one of their kids. That, their would, son. Make, that would make sense, yeah. Yeah, he placed both defendants in the bathroom with Sophie on the night of her death. He described hearing Sophie screaming and splashing in the bath as they said to her, breathe. So not only is this appalling for all the other reasons, but they're probably exposing their children to it. Yeah. Prosecutor Richard Horwell QC told jurors that neither were prepared to admit the truth, that they killed her out of revenge and punishment. He said their unhealthy, myopic, all-consuming and groundless obsession with Mark Walton had deprived them of reason and turned their nanny into something less than human. He's not wrong. He's completely right, actually. No. Quitter sobbed in court and shouted repeatedly, I haven't done anything, in French. 
They haven't done anything. And you know what? I bet she believes that. She probably believes that. Yeah, because nothing is ever a goblin's fault. It's always the fault of somebody else. That's right. By goblin, we mean it like intense narcissist, really. Yeah. An old Bailey jury found both of them guilty of the murder following a two month trial. A senior Crown prosecutor said only Quitter and Madowney know exactly how they killed Sophie, but the prosecution was able to prove that she died as a result of purposeful and sustained violence and not by accident. They were both jointly involved and came up with a plan to try and destroy her body and escape responsibility for this horrendous crime. Sophie's mother, Catherine, wept as Judge Nicholas Hillard QC said he was sure that the allegations made against her daughter by her killers had no truth whatsoever. Oh, of course. Yeah, I mean, yeah. But I guess it's nice to hear that. Yeah, that's right. In the face of all the evidence to the contrary, Madowney still refuses to accept that the obsession with Moulton was built on a fantasy. He still thinks like, no, it was Mark Walton and he was like, (sighs) come on. Now, the judge is expected to sentence the pair on June 26th at the Old Bailey, so we'll give you an update on what happens. Yeah, wow. Okay. Sophie's mother, Catherine, described her daughter's killers as monsters. She said, These self-obsessed individuals who murdered Sophie did not believe Sophie had a value. These monsters repeatedly beat Sophie. They starved, tortured, and broke her. They took away her dignity and finally her life. Our Sophie will soon be laid to rest. No God will ever forgive you both for what you have done to our daughter. Oh, that's intense. That gave me shivers. Yeah, that line gives me goosebumps every oh. time. Um, because you know what I love about it? It's it's just like no matter what religion you have, no matter what you believe in, you will never be forgiven for what you've done. Yeah. That's super powerful and you know what fucking true very accurate so yeah how was that like it was like entertaining and then it was just such a dick punch and poor Sophie Leone like fuck none of this had anything to do with her and anyone connected to little Sophie you know they're gonna live this for the rest of their lives absolutely Um, Um, also also the horrible woman's children are gonna not have parents. I mean, I don't want to think about fucking her. Smug, punchable. I showed you some pictures. You want to punch her too. Yeah, I do. She's got a smug look on her face. Ah, uh, the pictures of so Sophie um, in that video they made of her where she's oh, just skin and bone. Yeah. It's so heartbreaking, aren't they? Mm. Yo, Barney. Yes, Tara. Do you know what time it is? It's true crime night time. It's the best time of any day. True Crime Nerd Time is an opportunity for you, our listeners, to give us your recommendations for anything true crime related. It can be a book, movie, TV series, documentary, graphic novel, song, or just about anything that has scratched your true crime itch. Possibly a turd that looks like Ted Bundy. Tara, are you itchy? <laughs> no, I'm never going to answer that question. You can record your voice, just do it on your phone, we'll play it, or write it, we'll read it out, and we'll also publish it on our website. Yes. And if you give us your postal address, we'll send you some stickers. Absolutely. As a reward for contributing. Yes, because we want you, 
our listeners to be part of our show. God damn it. Hey, you know uh, Murder Under the Midnight Sun? Yeah, it went away and now she's back. So Ari has sent in uh, a little true crime nerd time for us. She is an awesome true crime nerd. We've spoken a lot about our true crime nerd loves. Columbine by Dave Cullen. I was in high school when the Columbine shooting occurred and I can clearly remember the surreal feeling of watching it unfold on the news and then having to go to my own high school the next day. It was incredibly bizarre. I hadn't seen that sort of thing happen in my lifetime and now, of course, it's depressing how common it is. Well, when Columbine happened, the news did their best to portray those fuckers in a very specific way as trenchcoat-wearing losers that were mercilessly bullied. It was several years later that I would read Dave Cullen's book and realise just how inaccurate that portrayal was. The book is gripping and spares no details. I remember reading it and thinking how crazy it was that myself and so many other people had the complete wrong picture about the situation. I would recommend this book to absolutely everyone. It's more timely now than ever. Well, that's unfortunately quite true. Yeah. But I don't actually know much uh, about what they really were like. Yeah, I want to give this a read. I'm intrigued. Yeah. And thank you, Ari, for sending that in. Oh, I might just add too, um, I watched the Errol Morris miniseries. It's a six-parter called Wormwood. Oh, yeah. And it's amazing. Oh. Google it, guys. Yeah, right. Yeah, I don't want to take over your segment, but watch it. It's the best. Hey, everyone. I've been on the go recently. Phoenix, Kansas City, Chicago. If you're like me and have a home but aren't always at home, you have an Airbnb. Hosting your home or a spare room is a very practical side hustle. If you live in a big game town, you can Airbnb your place for fans to stay in. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. So, Barney, I believe it might be your turn to tell us a tale of murder. It is, Tara. On an overcast morning on March 2nd, 2003, father of six, Senior Constable David Rickson was patrolling the streets of Tamworth in New South Wales. Just after 8am, the 40-year-old officer followed a suspicious-looking Holden statesman into Lorraine Street, West Tamworth. The officer had tailed the car and, as it turned off a busy thoroughfare through a couple of side streets and into the driveway of a block of flats, his vehicle camera recording every second. When the car was outside an apartment building, he flashed the lights on his highway patrol vehicle, indicating for the old Holden sedan to pull over. Inside was Michael Allen Jacobs, already disqualified from driving and high on the effects of the drug ice. Oh, nothing good starts with ice. Senior Constable Rickson jumped out of his patrol car and approached the vehicle. G'day, mate. How you going? Senior Constable Rickson said to him. Not bad, Jacobs replied. I'm going to breath test you, buddy, he said. Two shots almost immediately rang out when Jacobs fired on him from a 38 caliber revolver. One bullet hit Senior Constable Rickson in the wrist and then went on to puncture his heart and one of his lungs. The other bullet whizzed past his head. The policemen returned fire, shooting four times. All but one hit their mark, striking Jacobs three times and leaving him critically wounded. Good. Staggering and bleeding heavily, Senior Constable Rickson then handcuffed Jacobs, telling him he was under arrest before collapsing. Oh my God, he handcuffed the person who shot him and then collapsed? <laughs> he arrested him. That is him. badass. Tamworth mother, Cheryl Carpenter, had been lying in bed when she heard several very loud gunshots. I jumped up, 
Off the bed, grabbing my dressing gown and flew out the front, Miss Carpenter said. My neighbour Julie was across the road on the phone and there was a police car out the front of the flats. I ran out through the gates. I saw a police officer on his face on the ground and another on his side facing the flats. I went straight to the police officer and rolled him over to see if he was breathing. He took one big deep breath. I started talking to him, telling him to keep breathing and keep breathing and his right hand moved. The long-term Tamworth resident said that as the officer started to breathe, she put him in the recovery position and turned her attention to the other man, noting there was a black pistol close to where he lay. I asked him his name. He said Michael Jacobs. He was just moaning and groaning that his shoulder hurt, she said. Oh, he needs a wambulance, doesn't he? <laughs> wambulance. <laughs> yeah. What a sook. Yeah, big time. Miss Carpenter said she had assumed from the scene in front of her that Jacobs was responsible for the policeman's wound. When I was going backwards and forwards between the two injured men, I asked Jacobs, why did you do it? Why did you shoot the police officer? She said he just groaned. As she tried to save the highway patrol officer who lay bleeding from the gunshot wound to the chest, he gave out one last long breath and died in her arms. Miss Carpenter said it had seemed like forever before more police and the ambulance arrived. Senior Constable Rickson couldn't be revived. While Jacobs was rushed to hospital and received life-saving surgery and eventually recovered after spending more than a month in hospital. See, that doesn't seem fair, does it? It really doesn't. Mm. When Michael Allen Jacobs first regained consciousness after being shot during the fatal confrontation, he was in a delusional and dreamlike state where he was convinced he had really been wounded while saving a spear fishman from sharks. A shark shot him while he was saving a spear fisherman? The 49-year-old believed he had rescued a man from sharks and was a hero after waking <laughs> in Newcastle's John Hunter Hospital following surgery. Well, he must have been pretty disappointed to learn the fucking truth. Psychiatrist Stephanie Oak, who saw Jacobs during the recovery, said the patient was confused and suffering from a delirium during their consultations. He could give his full name, but rather than believing he was in Newcastle Hospital... He thought he might be in the Channel Islands, and he went into a confused account on why he thought he was there, which included having been involved with saving a spearfishman from a shark attack. What? Because uh, sharks are usually packing. Oh, sharks pack so much heat. That's why they're dangerous. I mean, everyone focuses on their smiles, but it's actually their guns. <laughs> After a few days, Jacobs remembered his altercation with Senior Constable Rickson, but said it was another man that shot the highway patrol officer. Yeah, yeah. According to Jacobs, it was a known criminal and drug dealer who was the one behind the murder. But Jacobs wasn't to know the man he had just incriminated, Terence Terry Price. I guess that's what you, how you short Terence. Yeah, just say Terrence. Terence Price. Oh, oh sorry. <laughs> I, <laughs> was that meant to be banter? It fucking yeah, failed. Yeah, that, that was banter. <laughs> that was really shit banter. <laughs> Terence Terry, Terry, Terza, Tasmania Price. <laughs> I thought you were having a stroke. I was. According to Jacobs, it was a known criminal and drug dealer who was the one behind the murder. But Jacobs wasn't to know the man he had just incriminated, Terence Terry Price. Tasmania. Was at home in bed with his girlfriend at the time of the shooting. Yeah, it's hard to do from there. Jacobs told detectives that Price had shot the officer before fleeing over a nearby fence. Agile, huh? Shot the copper, then scarped over the fence. Right. Quick okay, as you like. but as you said earlier, I mean, all of this has been recorded on the, the policeman's dash cam, so, you know. Yeah. 
Price had previously been jailed for stabbing another drug dealer to death over a petty debt, but he denied arranging to meet Jacobs for a heroin sale the morning of the shooting or having any involvement in Senior Constable Rickson's murder. A week after Jacobs was taken into custody, police went to his Olive Lane residence to execute a search warrant. Sounds logical. As the house appeared empty, an officer called Jacobs' girlfriend Sharon Stubrick's mobile phone. It was answered by a Monica Sampson, a passenger in Stubrick's car. Miss Stubrick told officers that her adult son was in the house and that he had been instructed not to answer the door. Well, that just sounds weird. Hmm. The officer requested that Strubwick return home so police could enter the residence. Ten minutes later, Ms. Sampson called Strubwick's son. Sampson relayed information from Ms. Strubwick to her son in relation to hiding some bullets that were in a box within a bag that was hanging on the back of the door in his mother's bedroom. Miss mm. Sampson told James to flush all the bullets down the dunny. That's an interesting way to get rid of them. That's a toilet. That's what we call a toilet here. Yeah, dunny. Yeah. I don't actually call it a dunny, but yeah. it is Australian for toilet. Yeah, sometimes call it, I'm going to the bog. Oh, I'm going to the bog. Yeah. Got to take a grog bog in the bog. That's right. You can't go to Poo Land without a... Poo ticket. Poo ticket. <laughs> no, you need tickets to get in the door. Poo tickets. Unbeknownst to them, the cops had tapped their phones, fearing evidence was about to go down the gurgler. Yes. They kicked the door in, but they were too late. Oh. Later, police were able to excavate part of the backyard and gain access to the sewer where the bullets were found. It contained 27 unfired 38 caliber bullets, 20 of which were similar to those found in the revolver used by Jacobs. There was also a lot of poo and wee there. Yeah, you can flush it, but it doesn't mean it's gone. Nope. Ms. Sampson and Ms. Strudwick were arrested at Parramatta Police Station for their part in trying to conceal the evidence. Rightly so. By the time Jacobs came to trial, he stuck with his stupid tall tale of a second gunman and pleaded not guilty. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, well, it wasn't me. Jacobs did not know the murder had been recorded on the officer's vehicle camera and on a microphone on Senior Constable Rickson's uniform. Ah. Uh. I love recording of stuff. It's so great to make facts happen. Yeah. Truth. We like it. Mm-hmm. Truth doesn't make a noise. But facts do. <laughs> okay. Keep going, champ. The jury was also played a secretly taped conversation between Jacobs and his girlfriend, Sharon, as he lay in his hospital bed. According to a transcript of the recording, Jacobs reacted with surprise when he was told someone had died, believing the other man was in the bed next to him in the intensive care unit. I wonder if he's just really badly coming down from ice, and that's why he's so delusional? I don't know. Did well, he, he have mental health issues? Well, he got it, shot three times. I would, he, would, he would have been on some pretty serious painkillers. Oh, uh, okay, too. yeah, that would have happened. What did it say? He died when? There's no death certificate with any of the fucking paperwork that came from the coppers, he said. Oh, so he can read. His girlfriend Sharon mentioned a funeral before Jacobs allegedly replied, Oh, fuck, he died. Fuck, I didn't even fire the first shot. But he did. Yeah, you kind of did. Oh, wow. He's just, like, disconnected entirely. He belongs in my story. Wish I hadn't had a gun. Wish I had got the shits that morning. Isn't it you, Dal? It's me. It's not you. It's me. I've been like this all my bloody life. Get the shits over nothing. All my bloody life I've been like that. He told his girlfriend. Yeah, so of course he has a girlfriend, even though he gets the shits all the time and, you know. For the defence, a Dr Oak said she believed anything Jacobs mentioned in the conversation was unreliable because of his obviously confused condition. Well, that's true. No, she's not wrong. Prosecutors, chocolate 
prostitutes. <laughs> the, the worst kind. Prosecutors stated Jacobs was high on ice at the time of the crime, making him more prone to aggression, and he shot the policeman to avoid being locked up and convicted for repeatedly driving unlicensed. Okay, so he has anger management issues, so he takes a drug that makes him angrier. Yes. Justice Button said of Jacobs' motive to avoid being briefly refused bail or, at worst, a sentence of a a matter of months, the offender saw fit to fire a handgun at a police officer. And a father of six. Yeah. He said Senior Constable Rickson would have had less than a second before the shot was fired. He described Jacobs as having an out-of-control drug addiction. The offender almost died from his injuries, Justice Button also said, adding that in his dying moments, Senior Constable Rickson had handcuffed Jacobs to arrest him. That's so amazing. The court heard Jacobs screamed, Ah, die, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, sir, sorry, just after the shooting. And while lying gravely wounded, could be heard repeatedly saying, I'm sorry. Apology not accepted. Damn straight. Several of the officer's family members listened with their hands over their mouths as the recording was played before sobbing and holding one another as they sat in the court's public gallery. The defence argued that another man shot the officer to hide the fact he was dealing drugs on the street. Yeah, yeah. But the Crown argued that Jacobs realised he was in trouble when police arrived and he needed to deflect the blame. The court also heard there were no drugs found at the scene and hardly any money. Doesn't sound like a drug deal, does it? It really doesn't, because generally when there's a drug deal, there's drugs. But I guess, like, the phantom man stole them and jumped a fence and ran off on a unicorn. (laughs) The jury also heard that full DNA profiles consistent with Jacob's were found all over the fucking gun. No doubt. And uh, there was no DNA of Terence Price there. That's probably because he had nothing to do with this shit show. There's no objective evidence at all in this trial that Terry Price was ever there on that day, the prosecutor said. Well, yeah, he basically just paraphrased me. The jury were also told security footage taken from a service station earlier in the morning of the murder showed there was no one else in Jacob's car. Yeah. Several of the constable's colleagues gave evidence at the trial and the jury was played a recording of the last moments of Senior Constable Rickson's life captured on a patrol car video camera. Prosecutors said the fact that Senior Constable Rickson stopped firing after hitting Jacobs with three out of four bullets when he had another 11 rounds to spare suggested he had removed the only threat he had seen. Damn straight. He stopped shooting because he had stopped the person who was shooting at him. He had shot at the accused and the accused had fallen to the ground, they said. Yeah, sounds Mm. legit. After deliberating for just under two hours, that's not long, is it? Oh, it's so fast. And no, apparently the sooner they come back, the more likely they're going to find you guilty. Well, the jury found Jacob's guilty. Well, because he was. You just cut my lunch then. Oh, no, I said Could I have extra mustard? (laughs) uh, As long as you put it on yourself. Rub it. Fiona Rickson, that's his widow. Yeah. She wept. As the jury handed down its verdict, she and her supporters rose to their feet as a mark of respect when the jurors left court for their final time. I like that. Yeah, I like that too. It's like a standing ovation. Justice Burton said he couldn't be more satisfied that the offender is responsible for this murder. The man who shot Senior Constable David Rickson became the first person jailed for the term of his natural life for murdering a police officer. 
So, yeah, he's the first person to be convicted of murdering a police officer since the O'Farrell government introduced legislation to ensure that such an offence is punished by a sentence of life without parole. That's definitely how it's meant to be. But you talked about a case recently where it was yeah. getting a bit grey. He said the murder of a police officer is a direct assault on the system of parliamentary democracy and the rule of law. It is. He's not wrong. No. The offender formed the intention to kill him, Justice Burton said. The intention may have been held fleetingly, but it has been established to a criminal standard. Yeah. Police Commissioner Andrew Scaponi and New South Wales Police Minister Mike Gallagher joined more than 20 police officers in court for the landmark sentence. Speaking outside Darlinghurst Court, Senior Constable Rickson's widow, Fiona Rickson, welcomed the swift verdict. She also thanked everyone in Tamworth and across New South Wales who had supported her family. I'd like to thank the public of New South Wales for all their support and prayers for all of us for all these months. And right now, I need to go and ring my children because I miss them. Oh, wow. She also said, um, David was the only man, the only police officer ever known to arrest his own murderer. Yeah. And I think that's pretty special. That's so special. Yeah. What a story. Yeah. Oh, man. Six kids without their dad, huh? Yeah. Hmm. It shouldn't happen. You shouldn't. Uh, no. There shouldn't be a chance of you being murdered when you're just doing your job. I know, but like seriously, I'm too cowardly to be a police officer. <laughs> I really am. Like I have so much respect for them. I don't have the nuts to do that, man. Yeah, and they work so hard. Yeah, really and it's do. so dangerous, particularly like, with all the ice shit, because it makes everyone yeah. so aggressive. And, and, and right from you know patrol officers right up to uh, detectives. Mm. God, they work so hard. Yeah, for fuck all money. And such long hours. Like, yeah. it's and their lives are at risk every day. Yep. Uh, absolutely. Respect. Respect. Hey, um, what is Aussie as? But, well, I mean, I can't be sure, but I've heard. Yeah, they are tales of Barney stupidity with a quintessentially Barney flavour. Would mm. you like to Barney one Barney? Sounds tasty. Let's do it. <laughs> Taxi driver Kishan Lauka, probably nicknamed Lauko, knew it was time to start looking for a new job when he heard his passengers giggling, the sounds of pants being quickly done up, and smelt a god-awful smell like a rotten egg had crawled up someone's ass and died. Oh, God. <laughs> the 30-year-old Darwin taxi driver had picked up five passengers in his maxi taxi outside the old Honeypot Strip Club on Darwin's Mitchell Street at 9.30pm on a Monday evening. Sounds okay so far. Yeah, it does. At first, everything seemed normal, but then things took a turn down Stinky Gross Avenue. <laughs> One guy who was sitting on the behind seat, he did the worst shit. It can't even be imagined by a human being, Lauko said. My dumps will be vicious. And they will be memorable. <laughs> he said the passengers were drunk, Caucasian, and appeared to be Australian and aged in their early 20s. The scatological fuckheads had asked to be dropped off at Bayview Street in Fanny Bay. Yep, that's a place. Australia! Wow, that doesn't work on two levels, you know, because Vagina Bay or, or Butt Bay. Well, for Americans, it's Bum Bay, but for us, Ass it's bay. like Vag Bay. Yeah. He said, there was a smell in the car, and one of the guys sitting behind me, he did a poo. The guy said, don't stop the car, but I was scared. I stopped and I jumped out of the car. 
Lalco said he called the police, but they didn't respond. They went, nah, I'm getting too old for this shit. (laughs) When the dirty pricks had gone and Lalco returned to the car, he couldn't bear to face the dump they'd left behind, so he approached a random stranger to be a mate and help him out. Oh, wow. What happened? Well, he said, a guy was walking past and I just gave him 300 bucks to clean the car. I don't know where he put it. I think he means the poo. <laughs> I don't know oh, where. Wow. Maybe he wow. ate it. We don't know. Maybe he ate it. Would you eat? Would you eat a? No. A, would you eat a turd for three hundred dollars? No, I wouldn't. Will you? No, I'm thinking about it. What if it is get back as violent as it is memorable? Lauk. <laughs> <laughs> <I think, laughs> I don't know how to I say think it. Now a I. violent poo. Sometimes there is bloodshed. <laughs> Lauko, who had been driving taxis for two years, said that the guys, the fucking shitheads, never paid the $8 fare. He said, I had a real bad headache because of the smell. When I sleep, I feel the smell. I didn't even have dinner last night. He couldn't eat because he was too busy smelling and feeling the fucking smell of the worst dump anyone's ever taken. He said, I talked to Bass. And they all just started laughing. Ah, the nerve. It is pretty funny, though. I don't want to do this anymore. It's a shit job. Some people say it's a shit job, but actually, it is a shit job. Well, it's a shit jobby. Yeah, poor Lauco. He just wanted to drive his <laughs> yeah, man, taxi I feel for you, man. shit. Yeah. And then someone had to do some kind of like death poo in the back of it. Little fucks. I've got to tell you, like, if you've got kids, though, it's. It's your kids aren't doing stripper grog bogs in the back of your car, dude. Grog, grog like bogs. you got a baby, they're doing like like fucking pureed oh, apricot yeah, and broccoli look, poo. They're not changing doing grog bogs. Two kids' nappies for years. Um, yeah, but you've smelt yeah, really? your own grog bogs. You know they're worse. Oh, yeah, you no, know an terrible. adult shit is far more sophisticated and demonic. Yeah. yeah. Fact. Hashtag facts. Hey, when I was when I was like about three years old, I went to go to the toilet to take a dump. And someone was in there, and it was my dad, and he's reading a newspaper or whatever. It was taken for eight, forever. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I thought, I'll just go and take a shit in the backyard. So, <laughs> I know this so, story. <laughs> so, so I took this shit in the backyard. And the next day, my parents were like, did you do that? And I said, no, nah, it was our dog. It was a dog. And they're we like, had, that's not a dog. Thing. We had this like mental dog. It was a, like a Dalmatian, and we called it Spot. Yeah, well, <laughs> original. Yeah. I know. And they just went, nah, that's not from a dog. That's human poo. And, yeah, I got busted so bad. Yeah? What happened? I got in trouble. Wooden spoon? Probably. Hit you on your pooper with a wooden spoon? I don't know. They probably got me a new dog. (laughs) Oh, God. They made you eat your old dog and poo it out again, but this Uh, time in a toilet. uh. So, um, (laughs) that went well. So thanks for listening and thanks to our patrons. If you'd like to support us, visit our website if you just want to buy us a drink. There's a PayPal donate button there too. Yes, we've had a few. We've had several actually um, in the past couple of weeks. So thank you so much, Laurie Herbst, Devin Ryan, Devin, Jake Fucknerski, and Iris Walter, who actually said happy birthday, Barney. So I think that one's all for presents for you. Oh, thanks, Iris. Yeah. That means a lot to me. Thank you, everybody. Thank you so much. I've been Barney Black. And I've been Tara Saraban. And we just did some bloody murder. Please don't forget to review us on iTunes or our Facebook page. And of course, rate and subscribe. It really helps us. Uh, Join our Facebook group, Bloody Murder Podcast, a.k.a. The Fam Bam. 
Follow us on Twitter and Snapshit and Insta and all those things. Yeah, we got stuff. Check out our website, bloodymurderpodcast.com, for news, galleries, more episodes and merchandise. Hey, baby. <laughs> Thanks for listening and we'll be back next week. Goodbye and adios. And keep kicking against the pricks. I can tell you another story about my dog Spot. Yeah, I did. We ran away from home because, again, it was a pooing thing. Oh, I couldn't get into the toilet. I knew I couldn't shit in the backyard. Uh-huh. So we walked down the street. You and the dog, a, yeah. Me and the dog, three. I was three years old. We went behind Northland Shopping Centre, which was being built at the time. <laughs> there was a creek there. Yeah. And um, I did a poo down there, but then I couldn't find my way home. Oh. And uh, I got taken home in a police car. You went home in the back of the Divi van. You uh, went home yeah, in the back of the Divi van. Yeah, oh my god, did you yeah. get in trouble for wandering off? I don't even remember. I went to go to the shop to buy a poppy, a poly they had, they had the intercom on in the room, and they kept lying that it wasn't on, and they were using sonic pressure on my head since 1997. Um, when I was four and I took um, my three-year-old neighbour and we walked for so many miles and then like everyone was called because we were missing kids. But I didn't realise how far the shop was. It was probably like 20 miles away (laughs) and we didn't make it very far. But we had a dog with us Um, and when we got home, I thought I'd be in more trouble when I saw all the like flashing lights. But um, yeah, it wasn't in too much trouble, but I wasn't allowed to, to go to the shop. Um, 20 miles away on foot. And also, I only had two cents, so I couldn't afford a polywaffle anyhow. I gathered up all my Christmas uh, presents once. Why? The day after Christmas, and I walked down the street and I sold them to some neighbours. I made about 30 cents. What, did you want to buy some ice? I, I can't even know. I thought I'd make a million dollars out of Oh, baby Barney, <laughs> you poo freak. I got in a lot of trouble for that. Oh, yeah. Also, you fucking, you lost. Yeah. I'm sorry, <laughs> it's all right. You're winning now, champ. Yeah, right. I'm going to do a smoke bomb <laughs> and a mic drop. All right. Barney out.